Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. Eric, Irma is finally away. We can kind of get back to some semblance of normalcy here in our UCF football schedule. And uh, and so we're doing so with our podcast, too. So, boy, it's nice to have football back for the first time in two weeks, isn't it? Hey, I'm not jinxing it, all right? Until <laughs> kickoff Saturday, until I get there, I'm not saying a word, man. I ain't, I ain't jinxing see, it. Now you, see, now you got me checking the National Hurricane Center's website to make sure that Oh, you were going to do that anyway. You know you <laughs> love doing that stuff. You're, you're obsessed with that stuff. Yeah, it's such uh, a weather geek. Here's my... No, just let me know if just I just need Jose to stay off the coast. I don't need any showers for the game. That's I think all you're going to I think you're going to get your get your wish cuz right now Good. it's due Jose is due uh east of the Jersey Shore. And so it's kind of hitting like you know, well it's not hitting anything really, but like some of the clouds from it are hitting like New England right now. So it, and those people that you know up in New England they're used to bad weather. But anyway, so hey, we've got um like I said, we've got football to talk about this weekend. UCF is taking on Maryland. We're going to talk about all the changes in the schedule that led up to that. We have a guest this week, uh, and it is Dave Lamonico of Terrapin Times, which is part of the Scout.com network. He's uh, one, of the, uh, one of the leading voices covering uh, Maryland Terrapin football. Uh, great insight from him in this interview. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. And we'll also talk about uh, volleyball getting... Uh, a doubleheader sweep of the University of Virginia. Um, speaking of teams from the DMV area, uh, we've also got. Uh, uh, we'll, be, we'll be catching you up on the schedule from you know men's soccer as well and uh, women's soccer because, boy, all of a sudden there have been some changes to the schedule with uh, Irma. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, oh, just a reminder to you, of course. Hit us up on blackandgoldbanneret.com. We'll be having our previews of the Maryland game coming up from uh, Brian Murphy. We'll be live blogging the game as well on Saturday uh, as uh, as we did with the FIU game. Went so well, we decided to keep it. We're going to do it again. Um, and uh, we're also going to have, uh, by the way, Lilo, you're going to be in College Park. Is that right? That's correct. I will be in the press box. Uh, I will hopefully they'll have my credential by then. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, I will got be lost in the, in the box. mail because of Irma. It's uh, evidently uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long story. Usually the the, the teams that uh, send the credentials to the kind of the the team that's bringing in the visiting media that did not occur this week for whatever reason. It's not a big deal. We've gone, I've gone to a million sporting events where I've had to pick up credentials at the stadium and I've been to that stadium before, but yes, I will be at the press box uh, and I will be on the field and uh, yes, I'll try to blog in as well with you guys from there. And, um, And I haven't decided yet at the time of this recording, this will be a game day decision but I will be uh, doing either a Facebook Live or a Periscope uh, that day from the stadium, either before the game or after the game. I haven't figured it all out. The best way to find out is go to Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter and follow me there because that's where you'll get the breaking news. And I'm sure Jeff will retweet it or share it on all social media platforms, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, – we'll, yeah, like I said, we'll keep everybody posted on that. And we're trying, the, we're trying all these different experimental things that we want to – you know, get everybody involved. I think that the the live blog was actually, you know, for the FIU game, I thought it was pretty good. It was me and Brian because uh, you were working stats for that game. But now we might Try have track. all three of This might be our first chance to have all three of us. Um, so, all right. Don't forget, 
blackandgoldbanneret.com. Don't forget our Facebook page, Black and Gold Banneret, as well. We're on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. I'm on Twitter at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric, Eric is on Twitter at Eric Lopez Elo. Uh, and uh, what else? We got, oh, oh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play. The, by the way, brand new iTunes, by the way, if you uh, have a new, uh, uh, if you haven't gotten that update, it looks really nice now. Uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn is where you can uh, download the podcast, review, um, send us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, don't forget to send us a question as well at blackandgoldbanneret at gmail.com. All right, let's dive in, Eric Lopez. Whew. Three weeks between football games for UCF. Actually, more than three weeks because right now UCF still undefeated at 1-0 off the defeat of uh, FIU back in the first game, but... Hurricane Irma rolls through. The uh, Georgia Tech, uh, the uh, Memphis game gets initially canceled, and now it's been moved to September 30th, uh, just like we were predicting, just like we were predicting might be a possibility. Um, UCF and Memphis worked out deals with Maine and Georgia State to uh, make it so that UCF plays Memphis on September the 30th at home, 7 p.m., kick on ESPN so it's going to be a uh uh so it's it's going to be a pretty big game in prime time uh that night uh on the uh, on on ESPN as well. Uh but now UCF has to get back to football by the way the obviously you know thinking back to our last show Georgia Tech that game got canceled as well. Um no word yet on whether or not UCF is going to be able to make that one up with Georgia Tech. There was some controversy about it which everyone obviously knows by now. We're not going to rehash that, but uh, let's, you know, right now we're just getting back to football with Maryland now on the schedule. Uh, UCF, by the way, right now, I'm, I'm counting this up here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games on the schedule right now. So uh, there are some rumors about trying to get a 12th game in there. Nothing yet that we know, but UCF gets back to action Saturday, three o'clock. Uh, in College Park, Maryland, against the Maryland Terrapins, the Big Ten Maryland Terrapins. That still doesn't even sound right when I say it. Uh, Maryland is 2-0. They've got victories in, against Texas, who they beat in the first game, surprisingly so, uh, in uh, Austin, 51-41. And then they racked up 63 on uh, Towson in their second game. Uh, the Terrapins lost their starting quarterback. They've got their... Um, They've got their they got their backup in there. Actually, put up the sixty three points. But Eric, let me ask you this: We're coming off basically three weeks without playing a game. UCF last played Thursday, August thirty first. There's always the the big question on everyone's mind: rest versus rust. I don't think there. I don't, I don't think that you know after wiping up FIU with sixty one points in that game. That there was a that there was a much of a need for rest. So, how concerned are you about the rust factor heading into this game? Uh, yeah, a little bit, not much. I think that gets a little overblown, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you would like to have some games under your belt a little bit, but at the same time, you're also fresh. And you know, maybe a couple of. I think I'm always more concerned as far as tackling's concerned. I feel tackling is where you notice if a team is a little rusty or not. Um, I, I think this team, look, it is kind of like a new season in a way. 
but you know Maryland's coming off a bye week as well, mm-hmm. and there's st- you know so it's still early enough in the season where I don't think it's a big deal. Whereas maybe if this would have occurred in the middle or you know towards the second half of the season, and you're now all of a sudden missing two or three weeks, and you know we've seen this with bowl games, that's where I would be more concerned. But I think it's still early enough in the season where I don't think it will be as big of a factor. A little bit of a familiarity factor between these two squads. Of course, they met last year, which was Mackenzie Milton's first career start. Uh, this game was at then Bright House Network Stadium, now uh, Spectrum Stadium, of course. Maryland with that 30-24 to uh, double overtime victory where we were like, you know what, it was another good effort, but came up a little bit short, but the future certainly seemed bright. Maryland more or less outlasted UCF in that game. A couple mistakes by the true freshman quarterback, Milton, um, resulted, you know, basically ended up with the result. But different situation now on the road. Um, this is the first road game of the season. It comes against a Big Ten opponent. Um, it, it's, I'm interested to see how McKenzie is going to look this time around. Uh, you know, obviously playing the same defense coach by DJ Dirk and the head coach uh, over at Maryland now. How much of a familiarity factor is it, do you think, between these two squads now based on that one game last year? Because these are two teams that are in pretty, pretty similar pretty similar places right now with their head coaches, right? They are. I don't know about how much you take into last year. Certainly from game film, there's some of that familiarity from a system standpoint. But, you know, that was McKenzie Milton's first ever collegiate start. I think he's a different quarterback than he was back then. And uh, Maryland's different a little bit as well. So I think you use it from a scheme standpoint and you kind of know what they're running. But I, I wouldn't go too crazy over it. Um over that, I you know, I yes, it, you know, I think it's good that they'll be on the road. It's the first road game. I can tell you, having been up there, and I was up there in 2013 when Maryland played FIU. As a matter of fact, I was visiting family. That was the year, if you remember, UCF opened the season on a Thursday night mm-hmm. against Akron. So then I flew up. I caught caught the Maryland FIU game, who was UCF's next opponent. Remember, the following week, UCF that year played at FIU. So. Uh, not an intimidating place. They don't pack the house, and I know we're going to have a guest on shortly to talk more about it, but Maryland is not a traditional football program. It's more of a basketball school, in my opinion, and they don't draw big. I mean, you can get good tickets. I remember when I went to the FIU game, I'm, I'm, I kid you not, on game day, I got tickets right behind uh, the Maryland bench for about five bucks. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. And you could, you know, you could probably get similar seats, to be honest, for this game as well. So if you're making a you know, late plans, you can do that. So I don't know if it, it's not going to be a hostile environment, in my opinion, from that standpoint. It'll be good. And I think it's a good first road game for this team to get on and start and have familiarity with who they played. A lot of these the players on the roster played against the roster on Maryland. So uh, I think that's a good comfort level. And, and I think it's a good test, by the way, with all the schedule changes. It's a good test to get them ready for Memphis, who's obviously a dynamic offense, as we saw against UCLA. Uh, I, you know, whereas you know before the, the original schedule was you're gonna have to play Memphis, then Maryland. I had some concerns about you know going from Memphis to Maryland. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think this team is fresh and opportunity uh, and, and and can work on some things that'll help them for Memphis. So uh, I, it'll be interesting to see how they get off to a good start, how quickly they can get off to a good start. And remember, turnovers was what cost them the Maryland game. You could argue they outplayed Maryland last year if it wasn't for the turnovers. I thought we did outplay Maryland last year because of the, and, and lost the game because of the turnovers. The game should have been over in regulation. 
Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> wow. I, 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 tell me how you feel. Yeah. No, that's no, that's the truth. But, you know, that's the result that we get. But as far as this game is concerned right here, we uh, – by the way, let's get to our guest for the day. He is the uh, publisher of Terrapin Times, which is part of Scout.com. It's one, it's, uh, one of the leading – if not the leading source for uh, University of Maryland football. And really football – really sports in general for the University of Maryland – uh, Dave Lamonico joined us a little bit earlier uh, to talk about Maryland, give sort of the lay of the land of the Terrapins so that you can get ready uh, for the game, which, by the way, is scheduled for a 3 p.m. kickoff in College Park, and the game will be televised on FS1, Fox Sports 1, uh, as well. So here is our interview with Terrapin Times' Dave Lamonico. All right, welcome, Dave Lamonico, Terrapin Times. How are you, Dave? Is, uh, is it starting to feel like fall up in the DMV right now or what? A little bit. Actually, to tell you the truth, we're getting a little bit of a heat wave up here. A little bit different from uh, what's been going on down in Florida. <laughs> so um, we're getting one last uh, burst of summer, and it's going to be. Uh, it might be 85 degrees on game day, so <laughs> we might have a have a hot one up here uh, before the before the fall actually hits. But it's great to be on. Uh, uh, Jeff, thanks for including me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having. Thanks for uh, coming on board the Black and Gold Banner at podcast here. And uh, boy, 85 degrees and humid in Washington D.C. sounds like. Sounds like home for UCF, but uh, let's talk Terrapin football right now. You guys right now are uh, two and two and zero. Oh, uh, got that big win over Texas in uh, the opening weekend, which raised everybody's eyebrows in Austin. Then you coming off of a sixty three seventeen wipeout of Towson, which was uh, which was pretty uh, well. I mean, I guess pretty much expected, but you know, wow, one hundred and fourteen points in your first uh, in your first two games for the Terrapins. Uh, is this pretty much what they ex- what the what, what the folks in Maryland expected from the Terrapins this year, or uh, or is it, or is it beyond expectations? Yeah, yeah, really exceeded expectations. Um, expectations here. I mean, the, the feeling was that Texas, with with a new coach under Tom Herman, they were going to be motivated. They're playing at home. They got something to prove. And there's a lot of people that thought, you know, even if Maryland was better than last year, they're going to go in there. They're going to lose by several touchdowns. And they just they they just hung with them, and they just kept putting up points, and uh, just gaining confidence even when their quarterback goes down. Uh, Tyrell Pigrome, who was the the starter as a sophomore, goes down with an injury, and the freshman Cassim Hill comes in and completes six straight passes and orchestrates a uh, a touchdown drive, and they just we're we're sitting there with our mouths open almost, and uh, you know coming out with that big victory, and then um, and then we're thinking, okay, you know they're going to beat Towson. But maybe there's a little bit of a letdown, so you know maybe they struggle a little bit in certain areas because you know it's Towson, um, you know not, not a bad team, but it's an FCS team, and they come up and they, they took care of business and put up 61 points, um, so or 67 points. So um, right now they're rolling, they're looking good, um, and we'll, we'll see if they can continue. Obviously, the big question is the injury at the quarterback position. Uh, What's kind of been the thought process here moving forward on and, and overall health going into this game? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, to tell you, quite honestly, and, and I, had, uh, I had addressed this before, um, the feeling was that the, the freshman Hill was going to take over the starting spot at some point this season, whether it would be four. Maybe, we, we put the over-under at about four games into the season. Um, I don't think that the head coach, uh, D.J. Durkin, wanted to throw – Kasim right into the fire as a true freshman. Um, he didn't enroll earlier. I mean, he did study the playbook and things like that, but he, it's not like he enrolled early. He got there when everybody else got there in the summer, 
so they didn't want to throw him to the wolves right away. Um, you know, game one against Texas. And Pagrom, Pagrom had played. He'd started some last year. Um, you know, not the most accurate thrower, um, more of an athlete type. Many projected that he'd be a slot receiver. Um, and that's why they figured that the pure quarterback, the pure signal caller, Hill, would eventually take over. So it was just a little bit sooner than expected, um, you know, when Pagrom goes down with the ACL injury, which was, uh, you know, I mean, he's a good kid. It was, it was a shame for him, but but Hill was was supposed to be the starter at some point, and really he's he's done he's he's done almost what was expected of him. He was a four star Under Under Armour All American coming in to Maryland. Um, I'd seen him play several times at St. John's right in D.C. Um, was probably one of the most poised signal callers that I've seen um, that I've scouted in this area. And you know the movement just doesn't get too big for him. He's not he doesn't act like a true freshman. I mean. Uh, he'll get knocked down. Um, he might make a couple bad decisions, but he just moves on to the next play. It's always about the next play. Even if he throws like a touchdown pass or has a big play, it's just always, okay, walk up to the line of scrimmage, next play. So that, that's the kind of demeanor he has, and that's why Maryland's so confident with him, and there hasn't really been any panic even among the coaching staff or anything or among the players with having to see Hill under center. Dave, are there concerns on about Maryland's defense because because of the fact that they, you know, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, they did give up 41 to Texas. I mean, 17 to Towson, okay, but you know, everyone so everyone always focuses on the offensive side of the ball. What about the, what about the defensive side of the ball? Are there some concerns right now? Um, yeah, um, yeah, there was there was last year Maryland had one of the worst rush defenses in all of college football. They allowed almost five yards of carry. It was, um, you know, linebackers playing back on their heels, guys just getting blown off the ball, especially against some of the bigger Big Ten teams. Um, it's been actually better this year. Um, and so any type of, yeah, okay, so Maryland, not, their defense is not at the level of, like, an Ohio State or a Penn State or a Michigan right now, but it's markedly better than it was last year. Last year it just wasn't good. Um, at all, and there was there. Yeah, they blew in a couple coverages. Even against Towson, they blew some coverages. That could be a problem. That obviously UCF's offensive attack could take advantage of. Um, there's a couple question marks in the secondary, but compared to last year, they've made improvements. I mean, in terms of you know the linebackers and they're filling, they're playing, they're playing more downhill. Um, they've generated a push so far up front. Um, you know, they, they have. Yeah, obviously Texas put up 41 points. Um, you know, there was some blown coverage. A lot of that was, you know, um, there was some there were some special teams errors, some uh, some offense putting out turnovers that, that put them in a bad position. But um, overall, the defense has improved since last year. I want to ask you about DJ Durkin. This is his second season. There's some a lot of parallels from between UCF and Maryland from that standpoint. Scott Frost is in his second season. Both pro team, uh, coaches trying to kind of build these programs up. Uh, what's been kind of the you know the thoughts on DJ Durkin here now a year and two games into the second season uh, from Terrapin fans and and just from what you see? Yeah, yeah, people love him. I mean, honestly, the, the guys he's he's done everything they've asked him more. Um, he's come in and. Um, he delivered what the last coaching regime couldn't do. Um, basically, he, uh, um, he came in here with uh, from Michigan with the mentality like, okay, this, this is this is how you build a winning program, and this is how you recruit, this is how you appeal to the fan base, this is how you get people excited. And he's delivered on all that. He put together, he had a, a keen sense of the area, the DMV, and 
how to go about it. Um, the DMV is sort of a, a special area um, in terms of the recruits around there. They, they, they haven't always trusted Maryland in a way, but DJ Durkin, Maryland is, Maryland is almost like a, a sleeping giant type of, type of deal because if you can lock down the DMV and recruiting, you know, you, you could have some success. But there's a lot of good players. Um, a lot of the best, the, some of the highest touted uh, players um, in college football have come out of the, the D.C., Northern Virginia, and, um, and Maryland area. And so Durkin came in, and he immediately appealed to those high school coaches. He brought in ace recruiters, and immediately the talent level was picked up, and, the talent, and, then, and fans could see that. They could see these, these were guys that were making plays. They were no longer getting beat by two or three steps. Um, you know, they were, you know, they were forcing turnovers. Um, you know, they were ripping off 50 yard runs and that, that excites the fan base when you, when you see things like that. Um, and so they've seen, they've seen the progress that, that he's been able to make in, in just, in just a year and a half, two years. Boy, sleeping giant school in a major metropolitan area. Boy, we've heard that term before around here too. So now let me ask you about, uh, about Maryland in general, I mean, I'm, I'll, well, I'll be honest with you. I'm a, I'm a loyal uh, little with the Tony Kornheiser show, and uh, and so I, you know, I kind of get like a little bit more DC um, related sports news than probably the average person that lives, you know, south of right. the, south of south of the uh, of the Mason Dixon line. But um, you know, usually when Maryland makes the news. In the in the D.C. you know Maryland Virginia area, it's mostly because of you know wow look at Maryland they're getting slaughtered in the Big Ten. But now I think that it, are people starting to, are they starting to make a dent into that crowded D.C. area uh, media attention scope now that you know like I said D, D.J. Durkin two and zero uh, and Big Ten schedule coming up right around the corner. Yeah, it's it's going to take it's going to take more than more than you know. A, Seven and six, eight and four, full season or something like that, um, around especially in this area. Um, yeah, the, the loyal fan, like you know, obviously there's more excitement. You know, we see it on our website. There's more traffic. <laughs> People yeah. are coming on, but uh, uh, there's there was there was barely uh, thirty five thousand for the for the first home game against Towson. Uh, the UCF game, they're going to be lucky to get forty thousand. People, it's a it's a transient area. Um, you hate to say it, but there are a large number of fair weather fans in the area. Um, just because of the, the amount of things, this isn't, this isn't Ohio state. This isn't the middle of Nebraska where there's nothing else to do. Um, you know, there's, there's Redskins, there's Ravens, there's Orioles, there's Nats. Um, and then there's, and then there's a, all, <laughs> and then DC itself is a transient area. So you don't, <laughs> there's not, you know, yeah. it's just, it's not a lot of loyal loyal fans, in one place that are going to, that are going to stick with you thick and thin. You got to show them something. So yeah, there's some excitement. There's some buzz, but for them to fill Maryland stadium and college park again, it's going to take, it's going to take, you know, beating Michigan, beating Ohio state. And of course being Penn state, which Maryland fans view as a rival and Penn state really doesn't, but that's another (laughs) story for another day. And (laughs) it's going to take knocking off those teams being ranked for a while and putting together a couple consecutive, uh, you know, significant winning seasons for them to, for them to really take hold again. Again. Let me expand on that uh, because this is my, this will be my second trip 
uh, to a Maryland football game, actually at Maryland. I, I made a trip back in, uh, I think it was Labor Day weekend of 2013. Maryland opened the season against FIU. I believe that was the Stefan Diggs year uh, with Randy Etzo at head coach and, and everything. And they beat FIU. And I, and, and, and I remember that was right around the time where Maryland had just joined the Big Ten. And talking to people there, I got the sense, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, that more that more people are more excited and care more about the basketball program. I I, I took oh, yeah, it as yeah, yeah, yeah. they're a basketball school. So how big of a factor is that? That it's really more of a basketball school, and in football, it's kind of like, well, we do that's great, but it's a basketball school. I mean, it it is a basketball school right now. I mean, as much as but the the, the feeling is that they could they could have the Michigan State model where Michigan State was basketball, 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 and then. They come in, and then the, for the last decade, they've slowly built it up with, you know, competing for second-tier prospects with Michigan and Ohio State, great coaching. They put together uh, consecutive winning seasons. You know, Stockham got to, got to close to, to, some, uh, to some major bowl victories, and Michigan State is now a basketball and a football school. Um, and they were primarily a basketball school before the 2000s. And the feeling is that Maryland could go off that same model. Where yeah maybe they're maybe they're going to lose recruits to Ohio State that becomes an in cherry picks maybe they're going to lose top recruits to Penn State which loves to uh, James Franklin was a former coach at Maryland he loves to cherry pick and take kids away that Maryland wants um, that's like his thing and um, you know maybe they're going to lose kids to that but they can get enough solid second tier prospects and then supplement them with top tier prospects where they could build a winning program and become both it's going to take several years though. But, yeah, there's no doubt that fans right now, Maryland has always done better in basketball. And, yeah, they'll get excited. They'll come out and pack the house for basketball games. That is true. One, one, one interesting note, and then as well, is I mentioned at the time when I arrived, up, went up there for that game, it was Maryland had just joined the Big Ten Conference. And I know that was a lot of controversy in talking to people because there was a lot of history with the ACC and basketball. Uh, obviously, the famous alum, Scott Van Pell, has been vo- you know, uh, all that. How has the transition gone to the Big Ten? We know why they move from a financial standpoint, and we would assume that that's working out well. Is it working out well from an on-the-field standpoint, from a, as you see, from a recruiting standpoint, and from a fan interest standpoint? Oh, yeah. I think, I think most people are pretty much over that now that you talk to. There's, you know, there, there's a few hangers on that still. It's not even really a discussion anymore. It's just it's been, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe basketball-wise, you'd love to still have those same – you miss playing Duke. You miss playing North Carolina. Um, which were always great games. Um, but at the same time, a lot of basketball fans are thinking, well, Duke and North Carolina sort of, you know, they, they sort of had the conference, uh, <laughs> excuse my French, would buy the balls a little bit. <laughs> all the, all the ACC, yeah, all, all the ACC tournaments are down in Greensboro uh, most of the time. And it's like, and it's like fans are thinking, well, you know what, maybe it's better that, that, that you know, <laughs> they establish new rivalries where, you know, the, the, the Big Ten tournament moves around to different cities year after year. And then, you know, uh, get more of a fair shot against these things. Maryland's pretty much been at the top of the Big Ten in basketball since they've been there. So, and, and, and they're, they're starting to form rivalries there, and fans are getting on board with that, you know, with Michigan State, um, you know, Ohio State, that they're starting to form some, some, some good battles there, there. And then football-wise, yeah, it's going to be a little bit tougher um, uh, just, uh, just competing with, uh, with schools like with, with Michigan, Ohio State, just because it's, it's harder to remind them which is they're not as much an abundance in the DMV. 
and the best ones get cherry picked by the best schools. Um, so it's it's hard to build up depth there. They're starting to get there, but you know when when you have a team like Michigan that can trot out their second and third stringers, would maybe be starting at Maryland like a year ago. <laughs> um, you know it's, it's harder to do that just because that, those, that's how those programs are built. They're built on you know we're going to beat you in the trenches and we're going to wear you down. Um, maybe you can hang with us for a quarter or a half, but in the third and fourth quarter when we start rolling out our second and third string offensive linemen, we're going to we're going to wear you down. And that's that's so that that's going to be tough to sort of scale that to get to that level, but they're climbing up to be in the middle of that Big Ten pack, which is which is where Maryland can be. And then, you know, the, the feeling is you, you sit in the middle of that Big Ten pack and then maybe in a given year, every, every couple of years, maybe you shock some people and you get to the top of that conference. So um, that, that's, sort of, that's, that's sort of the feeling that, that maybe Maryland could do that right now. Last question for you, Dave. All right, I'm a UCF fan. I'm coming to College Park for the game. I know all the all the sights and sounds in DC that I can check out, but give us a little bit of the local flavor. What are two or three places that, if I'm a fan coming in from out of town, that I should check out before I uh, before I head yeah. over to the game on yeah. Saturday? Yeah, right. Uh, route, route one is the is the big road uh, leading into College Park, and it's just filled with bars and restaurants. Bentley's is a famous one. Um, you know, obviously there's the, it was the first ever Lido pizza, which is the famous, Lido, uh, the, the famous pizza joint right there. Um, Looney's is a, is a, is a big bar right there next to campus, um, that, that people and the fans like to, like to go to there. there there's a lot of cool spots. You can't go wrong. Um, it's right there. Cause, um, right, right there on route one, right outside the campus and the stadium is right on campus. So it's walking distance. So, you know, basically you go grab a drink or a bite to eat, and then you walk over to the game. Um, and that, that's pretty much that's. It's not like some places where the stadium sits like two or three miles away. It's uh, Maryland Stadium is smack dab in the middle of campus. So, pretty cool place, and uh, and fans should if they're around, they're coming up. Cool stuff, Dave Lamonico, Terrapin Times. Dave, how can people get in touch with you? Um, yeah, we're at uh, Twitter is uh, at MD Terrapin Times. And, um, yeah, just uh, <laughs> we tweet everything, Maryland News, um, uh, 24-7 pretty much, covers recruiting, a lot, of, a lot of recruiting, a lot of team coverage. And, um, yeah, pretty much it. All right, Dave, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. And, uh, hey, enjoy the game on Saturday. Yeah, looking forward to having you guys. All right, thanks again to Dave and all the folks at uh, Terrapin Times for their help uh, as well in getting us ready for this game. Uh, again, 3 p.m. kick uh, on FS1 if you're uh, watching the game at home. Uh, so, should, so you know, not, yep. pretty big television audience as by, well. And, and by the way, you want to know who's the, the broadcast crew? Okay, who you got? Some familiar faces. Uh, Eric Collins is the play-by-play guy. Eric Collins has been on various networks, Big Ten Network, mm-hmm. uh, ESPN, CBS Sports Network. Does a lot of softball. Which I uh, no wonder you. Yeah. Uh, that, so there might I might have to visit him and talk a little softball shop. But that's all the story. AJ Hawk, AJ Hawk, really? He's he's part of this broadcast. As is Danny Cannell, who's now at Fox Sports One. So it's a three man booth with AJ Hawk and Danny Cannell. Uh, I don't know if it's a three man booth or if AJ Hawk's doing sideline. I would assume it's some combination of that. I mean, even if AJ Hawk's on the sideline, I'm sure he has input uh, in the broadcast. Yeah, like a like field analyst, some- right? 
Yeah, like they do with Tony Saragusa, and there's other other analysts. They've done that at Fox Sports 1. So uh, that's the crew that will be calling this uh, UCF-Maryland game, by the way. So Danny Cannell. And if you remember, UCF fans might remember, uh, you know the famous game Danny Cannell called uh, for UCF uh, on ESPN? Um, well, he's I know he's done more than a few. Which one are you talking about? He was on the broadcast for that Friday night win comeback at Louisville. That's uh, right. That's right. And, I, and the reason I remember that is because I interviewed him that week to preview that game. Um, at the time, I was filling in on the Sports Talk morning show for uh, 1080 and 1040, and I had him on there. And then I actually was filling in on the show Tuck and O'Neill that Friday because Jerry was in Louisville and uh, Mike Tuck was out of town. So I was filling in as the host, and I re-aired that interview on that show as well to prepare – uh, for the Louisville game. So uh, that's one of my favorite memories of my career is a, a chance to talk to Danny Cannell. And I'm happy from a personal note that he's back. Uh, first of all, around college football, I thought he was fantastic at ESPN. I was disappointed when he got laid off from ESPN. I thought he was tremendous as a game analyst and in the studio analyst as he was doing. And he was just doing the, the national radio show with Ryan Rossillo. Yeah, he so. was an underrated radio host, I thought. Danny was absolutely a uh, great guy genuine guy when I talk to him he's very easy going very approachable Florida State so, Seminole of course you know backed up Charlie Ward and then you know later got career. his chance yeah, and yeah that's your, NFL. that's your fan connection NFL. with him and then my fan connection with him is that he was the Giants quarterback for a few years yeah. in fact led the Giants I think to a uh to a really successful season under an unexpectedly successful season under uh, Jim Fossil I think they went 10-5 and 1 in yeah. uh 1996 or seven somewhere around there and it was Danny Cannell who led them to that uh to the playoffs that year so uh good yeah, that, Danny back back when, in football. That, that was back when the New York Giants actually had an offensive line and competent coaching uh which they don't <laughs> have the present but that's a whole other story <laughs> well Jim Fossil um, was the head coach we sure we're gonna go in with competent at that point I don't know if there's much going on. <laughs> but that's a whole other episode. Uh, but, yeah, Danny Cannell, South Florida guy as well. So uh, just a personal note, excited to see him there and hopefully some good karma there because, as I mentioned, he was part of that telecast, that Friday night game against Louisville. I want to say it was with Carter Blackburn. I don't remember because you and I were actually together. Right, we were night. at the, uh, the Oviedo Ale House watching that game. Correct. So, um, you know, I don't recall who called the game. I have it somewhere on tape. But uh, but Danny was a part of that, and that was a blast. So I'm happy he'll be doing it. Hopefully, bring some karma to this game because uh, I do think it's a very important game. Look, this is quietly a sneaky good game. Maryland is a pretty good team. I think improved DJ Durkin in his second season. They beat Texas, and you saw you know, and I, a lot of people overreacted to that game. And oh well, it's Texas struggles, but Texas, as you saw, gave USC all they can handle. Maryland's got some improved athletes there. Yeah. Um. You know, last year's game. You know, say what you will with the turnovers and all that. I thought that was a really interesting game i thought it was a, a close game and i expect another close game uh, this weekend and i think we'll learn a lot about ucf football in 2017 i think after this game and what we might be uh foreshadowing for the up for the later in the uh, for the rest of the season yeah this is going to be a really i think it's going to be a, a real acid test for uh scott frost in terms of his ability as a head coach dealing with this unexpected uh, you know, you know, wrench that's been thrown into the first part of the season with Hurricane yeah. Irma. And by the way, let's, that's a good segment, segue right now so we can kind of put a bow on, on the Irma situation. So like we said before, uh, in case you don't know by now, uh, last place we left off was UCF was basically down two home games. 
uh, the Georgia Tech game and the Memphis game. And people were freaking out about it. Uh, but we had said, and you know, and and going back to what Andy Seely had told us in that interview that we had last week, that I conducted from my uh, from from the guest room in my in laws, for which I'm th- very thankful for. Um, that hey, just a little bit of patience, everybody. Just hang tight. We're working on it. We're you know the, we're not gonna we're not gonna hang our fans out to dry. And lo and behold, we're right. All right, UCF was able to reschedule that game. Uh, with uh, with Memphis, and they're trying, trying, reportedly, there are several reports out there, but they're trying to get that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Georgia Tech is not going to reschedule this year, which stinks. We get it. But they are trying to reschedule an FCS opponent into what is currently the bye week, which is scheduled for uh, that weekend of October the 28th, which is after the Navy game, before the SMU game, all right, uh, to try and get you know basically what the fans paid for, which was twelve, you know, which is you know t- well twelve regular season games, but also the seven home games, all right, and that's that's really the key. So, um, your thoughts, Eric, on how UCF has handled this uh, to this point? Because there's still a lot of controversy. There's still a lot of you know gnashing of teeth and which you know i understand you know i can have this conversation we can have this conversation till we're blue in the face we did last time around about you know guys let's just keep some perspective and keep a little faith in here it's not like you know they're they're going to do the best that they can with what they've got but you know i I was uh pretty encouraged by how quickly uh they were able to they were able to schedule the game uh with uh with memphis uh and by the way that was not cheap what they had to do the strings that both ucf and memphis had to pull in order to make that happen, right? Do I get partial credit for that? Since that was my first, I, that was the idea I'll, I brought up. September I'll give 30th. it to you. Remember I'll, that? I got no problem giving that to you. Um, I was the one that said it. That if that were to make it happen, they could do it September 30th. The big key was going to be buying out Georgia State, and you know who knew if that was going to happen or not, and it did. And give the American Conference credit. You know, once you saw the news come out that they had shuffled the schedule a little bit to add that USF Connecticut game that was lost, I felt pretty confident that somehow, some way, UCF Memphis was going to get added, and it did. And the you know the great thing about UCF, it really didn't alter the schedule that much. Uh, you know, yeah, you're playing a game now on September 30th, but you had a home game anyway on September 30th against Maine. And as you mentioned earlier, they're probably going to try to add an FCS opponent. On October 28th, I would be surprised at this point if it wasn't added. Um, you know, there's been speculation on who that team is. I'm not going to get into that. But, um, you know, I, I think overall, if they get that FCS game on October 28th, and Scott Frost has talked about it this week about, hey, hey look, if that's what it takes, we'll play without the bye. We've, you know, that's not a big deal. Um, that means they would have gotten six home games. And you would have an 11 game schedule. Yes, you lose Georgia Tech, but again, I'm, I mean, seriously, guys, it's Georgia Tech. I mean, let's not lose. It's not Georgia. Non conference game. Non conference game. It doesn't. It doesn't really. Yeah. You, you, you can speak to this. You you worked in Georgia. Nobody cares about Georgia Tech. Like seriously, <laughs> who cares about Georgia? Like seriously, Georgia Tech. Uh, with all due respect, I mean, get over it. Like you know, and, I, and and Paul Johnson, shame on you for oh trying to jump in there and say, well, you know, we've offered to flip the schedule. See that? No, yeah, that that right there. I want us to talk about that. That pissed me off as a fan. Yeah. Is is hearing Paul Johnson come out and say, um, 
you know, oh, well, we offered to try it, but they said no. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Now you're just now you're just talking off the top of your head, which Paul Johnson, by the way, is known for uh, kind of shooting off the mouth when he shouldn't. Um, and uh, and I was uh, interested to see uh, Coach Frost's reaction to that because, you know, Scott Frost, you know, we've we've under, begun to under we, we've, we understand now he's a pretty even keel chap, right? You know he's not going to he's not going to get too far up far up or down about anything. But he came out and said something I thought that was pretty interesting. He said, "You know, Paul Johnson knows better than to say something like that." And I was like, "Whoa, okay, all right." So, you know, Scott Frost is getting a little ticked off, and I can understand uh, where he's coming from about that, right? Yeah, I mean that was. You knew that that game was the, the issue was not about flipping the game to another location. The, the issue was that the team uh, was not together. The lack of practice time, which I know people don't like try to downplay that. But talk to any coach uh, anywhere. Google it. I don't care what you want. Coaches, I mean, they need they want a full full week of practice for the triple option. It's not an offense you see every time. So if you're, you know, you're down all of a sudden to maybe one or two practices, I mean, you're not going to be successful. Um so there was just a lot of variables that just wasn't in the cards. And now credit former UCF athletic director and current Georgia Tech athletic director Todd Stansberry has been more sympathetic. And I actually believe that this will get rescheduled uh, down the road in the future. I think they'll make that game up down the road. Right. Whether Paul Johnson's the head coach by then or not, quite frankly, uh, might uh, might actually be better off if he's not. And quite <laughs> frankly, if he doesn't win enough games this in the next this year, we there will be a new head coach at Georgia Tech. So he better worry about that than worried about you know UCF and things like that. So. Um, I just again, I think all things considered, the Memphis game is more important anyway. I could argue that Memphis is better than Georgia Tech anyway this year, and I think you saw that when they how they beat UCLA with with Ferguson at quarterback. So you get your six home games. Yes, you lose the seventh, uh, but this was like the first year they've done seven home games in a while, or if any. And I'm sure the you know the the whole ticket situation will get sorted out, and yeah. it, it'll get sorted out whatever happens. So. I think all things considered, I think they're fine and everything is still in front of them. And uh, that's the important thing. And, uh, you know, that's and look, uh, Miami was in the same boat. Miami let go of their players. They're practicing as we record this in Orlando. They're not even they can't even practice in Miami. Yeah. Um, you know, so they that's why they couldn't play Arkansas State and shame on the Arkansas State people for trying to suggest Miami was ducking him and Rick Neuheisel. Really disappointing. <laughs> really? Uh, that ridiculous Arkansas comment. State is going is yeah, to come out Miami's and say that Miami is trying to duck them. Yeah, Miami right. is cowering in fear Correct. of playing Correct. Arkansas State. Okay. I encourage people. I encourage people. Go to ESPN.com. Andrea Adelson is a friend <laughs> of mine. We, we, uh, Andrea Adelson. Uh, Killian alum, me and, her, me and her were actually in the same high school, and Killian down in Miami worked in the same student paper in high school. Obviously, he's had a lot better success than I have, <laughs> rightfully so. Uh, did a piece on how all the schools in the state uh, had to deal with Hurricane and the obstacles with that. And, and one of the things was Miami. I mean, they knew that they knew that they in fact, they even told the ACC when they talked to John Swafford after the Arkansas State cancellations, like, hey, we're we're not going to be able to play this Florida State game more than likely because we got You know, we're we don't know what we're coming back to and everything. And they, they sorted it out and they pushed it back. But um, 
my point is on all that is, I mean, Miami can't even practice down in Miami right now. So I think all things considered, I think we're in a pretty fortunate situation. And UCF's helped, I think, has helped the community in the state, too, by uh, hosting the, the troops. So I'm not, I, I, there, I think there yeah, was a lot of. National Guard, right? Yeah. Yeah, and having the National Guards to host and everything and, and the state government. So uh, that was good to see that they're a part of the healing process and the helping process that I think is a lot more important, whether you play against a Georgia Tech team that's probably going to go six and five if they're lucky or seven and four. Yeah, well, I, I you know, like I said before, I, uh, you know, th- th- there's some perspective that is desperately needed <laughs> at this point. Um, I, but I, I, I'm. You know, right now, I, I I think that, you know, once you get into football right now, I think that, you know, all that stuff kind of goes it's away. It's done. It, it's done. You know, it's all done. It's all said and done with it. And, and I think that, you know, like I said, we're good for trying to get some of that stuff back right now. By the way, uh, Maryland, a three and a half point favorite uh, for this game coming up. Uh, over under you, is it, it you, 59 and a half. You, well, it tells you it's more of a pick em game because usually the home teams are given three points right away. So right. usually... A home team is favored by three. So the fact that it's at three and a half tells you that, you know, this game is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a toss up game. And I agree with that. So, um, you know, that will be that's interesting. The the, the spread there. Yeah. So, uh, again, three o'clock Saturday uh, and it will take place in College Park. And that's on FS1 UCF against Maryland. Nice trying to go two and O on the season. Uh, Real quick. Let's go around the American, and I wanted to uh, bring up some of the you know, some of the other games that we're going to be keeping an eye on uh, for this week. Here, we got some Thursday night action uh, in Tampa. USF is playing Temple, so that's a pretty big game right off the bat to start off the week. Uh, Saturday, a couple noon. Uh, by the way, that game's on uh, ESPN on Thursday. USF and Temple, so you can check that out. Saturday at noon, before our game with Maryland, Houston takes on Texas Tech at home. That's going to be on uh, ABC or ESPN2. Check your local listings on that. Tulane faces Army at home, uh, in New Orleans at noon. That game is going to be on CBS Sports Network. Uh, acr- uh, no, not across from us. At 1.30 Eastern, ESPN3, Tulsa faces New Mexico in Tulsa. Uh, conference game, Navy and Cincinnati. That's at 3.30 across from our game against Maryland. That's on CBS Sports Network as well. And then a couple of ESPN3 games. SMU's at home against Arkansas State. And Memphis is at home against Southern Illinois. Again, those are ESPN3, 7 and 8 o'clock respectively. And we have a Sunday game because of the, uh, because of the schedule that was rearranged. Uh, UConn will face East Carolina in Hartford <laughs> noon on Sunday on ESPNU. Noon Sunday. ESPNU. I have the story on that, by yeah, the way. Okay, yeah. Go ahead and, and, and recount the story of that because this is interesting. The re- and Because and, I was thrown off. I'm like, why is this game on Sunday? Because both teams play last Saturday. It's not like, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why is this game on Sunday? And it turns out, as I looked into it, the reason the game's on Sunday is because where UConn plays their football home games, that's being used on Saturday for an MLS game. New York City uh, FC is hosting an MLS game. I believe it's against Houston. So they're hosting them on Saturday because New York City FC can't host the game that they normally play at Yankee Stadium for some reason. Because the Yankees supposedly now have a makeup game on Monday, and I guess the Yankees don't want a soccer match to be played on the field 
because I guess of the turnaround, because the Yankees are actually on the road at Toronto. Maybe you can help me with this, Jeff, since you're a Yankee guy. The Yankees are on the road at Toronto this weekend, but but yet they don't want the soccer match to be played on Saturday at Yankee Stadium because now what was originally a day off on Monday – now the Yankees have to host a game against the Royals, which was a makeup date for a rainout earlier in the year. Is that because of the field and they need like multiple more than two a day or two to kind of fix the field? Or what, what what's that about? Because that was the part that threw me off. Is like you know because when I first saw it, I'm like, oh well, the Yankees must be at home. But no, they're they're on the road, but yet they can't play there for some reason. It does take a little extra time in Yankee Stadium for them to actually work on that field because Yankee Stadium is actually not designed as a multi-purpose stadium. And remember, like you said, NYCFC, they actually play their home games at Yankee Stadium. They're able to work things out with the Yankees where they can have an extra day uh, to actually um, – to actually, yeah, and their their NYCFC's home schedule is usually loaded toward the beginning of the season. Um, but in the case of the Yankees, you know, right now they're second in the AL East, and they're fighting for fighting to stay ahead of that wild card pace. And uh, and the and the Yankees kind of own the roost there, right? And I think if I'm not mistaken, NYCFC they're partially. Owned by the Yankees, I think is is that is, is I think I think so. I, I think it's either ownership or some business uh, deal. Yeah, there, there's a, there's definitely a partnership there of some sort, if not ownership. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, they are owned by uh, they're, they're owned by twenty uh, percent owned by Yankee Global Enterprises, which just sounds awesome. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it, it, it's a twenty percent stake. So uh, so yeah, they get they they have say over that. So. Um, but it's funny how that all kind of cascades down and it ends up affecting the um, the UConn football game and pushing them to Sunday on ESPNU. Where if you want to watch college football on Sunday, hey, go ahead. But um, but yes, yeah, so yeah that, it's better that was, that was than watching. Point. It's be- honestly, it's better than watching the Giants football right now. New York I Giants. can't uh. disagree. <laughs> I can't. I can't disagree right now. We haven't we haven't scored uh, we haven't scored twenty points in a game since before the election. So. Well, let me ask you real quick. And all, I mean, I've been kidding. I'm teasing you a lot, obviously, because people don't know. Jeff's a big diehard Giant fan. Yeah. Uh, did you go to camp? Because I remember you visited up north. That you. I did. I visit. I visited the camp. I saw Brandon Marshall. I saw Eli. Is he Manning. cursed? Is he, is he a curse? Because no, no, the he, no. The problem is the Giants are poorly coached. Well, it's just interesting. He's never made the playoffs. Any team he's gone to. Um, and he hasn't played well. I mean, he's dropped. I mean, he's yeah, he dropped a it. big third day. He admitted it after the game the other day. Like, you know, I've had a, just, a big, big catch that he missed. It's just crazy because, you know, going into the season, I'm like, you know, this might be his best shot to make the play. Look, it's early in the NFL season. But, you know, I thought this might be maybe his best shot to make the playoffs. It's probably the best quarterback he's played with in his career. And they just, oh, it's been brutal to let watch. Me, let me put it this way. If the Giants miss the playoffs this year, which is day by day looking like an increasing possibility, the probably the last person I'm going to blame is Brandon Marshall. <laughs> okay, no, that's I, it's just <laughs> it's not going to be Brandon Marshall's fault that the Giants no, miss the playoffs. But, but it's it going to be it's going to make- be it's going to be Ben McAdoo's fault. That's who the fault lies with. Well, that's fine. It's just not going to help his cause of making the playoffs for the first time in his career. And that's kind of the disappointing thing. It's part of a very bizarre, slow start for a lot of UCF alums. I mean, Latavius Murray right now is kind of out of the picture in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook. I mean, Murray didn't even get a carry 
in the Pittsburgh loss this past weekend, and our my boy Brashad Perriman can't didn't catch and make a catch against Cleveland. So, you know, we got some. On the positive not, uh, note, we did have a McCray brothers starting on Sunday night. Yeah, Justin Justin McCray got a start for Green Bay. Uh, they lost to Atlanta, but actually, I thought held his own in that game. Did well, uh, did well, and uh, and what do you call it? I, I I did see got some high praise from uh, from uh, Collinsworth, yeah, Collinsworth in that game. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah, Collinsworth liked them, and they did very well. You're absolutely correct on that. Uh, so that was a positive, but, man, hopefully we can get some of the other guys get going there from an alumni standpoint. Certainly, uh, Bouye is playing well at Jacksonville. Blake, you know, Blake had a tough game against Tennessee uh, from that standpoint. So They're just trying to keep the ball away from him at this point. You know, just give the ball to Leonard Fournette yeah. and not at, not ask Blake to make any plays. That's what they're doing right now. So. It's true. But, uh, hopefully Brandon and the Giants can get it going at least. And, uh, hell, you know, start with, you know, blocking somebody. It might be a right. good start. All right. So, all right. So uh, let's take a quick breather. And uh, when we get back from this timeout, we'll take a look at the, uh, you know, obviously football, not the only thing that got affected by uh, Irma. We're going to update you on the schedule for all of UCF's uh, other sports as well when we get back. And uh, we'll, uh, we got a little volleyball news as well. So stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret uh, Podcast. And uh, by the way, thanks again to. Uh, we're going to keep up with our UC, our UCF fantasy thing with uh, with uh, Andrew and Trace. By the way, we're keeping our rosters. Listen, week, listen. So. Let's just let's just address this. All right. Okay. So now now you're going to stir the pot again. All right. Go ahead. Andrew and Trace. I did look into it. <laughs> no, they weren't directly involved with the cancellations for Georgia Tech <laughs> and Maryland, but they weren't opposed to it because that's less weeks they lose. So <laughs> um, they're still only down one nothing. <laughs> they still they still can't get over the. They really I'm offended attacking me because I was the official stats guy for CBS Sports Network for the FIU game. So they're 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 making that as the scapegoat. Um, well, I'm not doing the stats this weekend, so I can't wait to see what excuse they come up with when they lose again. So uh, I'm just saying, listen, if they, you, you can't know, fake oh. math, all right? right, you can't fake math. This I don't want to hear it. Many of you guys. All right. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. You can follow that on as well. UCF fantasy is the hashtag that we're using for that with uh, Andrew and Trace. And um, hey, game number two coming up. All right. Uh, don't forget uh, to follow us on Twitter, UCF, uh, UCF underscore Banneret. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Hit us up on Facebook and also um, follow this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Elo, the uh, football schedule wasn't the only schedule that got completely messed up by, um, by Hurricane Irma. 
Let's talk about soccer. Um, the men's soccer team uh, coming off of a uh, coming off of the, a scoreless tie, a scoreless draw against West Virginia uh, on September the 9th on Saturday. They stayed in they stayed in uh, Morgantown while the storm passed through. They were scheduled to play uh, FIU on Tuesday, September the 12th at home. That would have been Coach Calabrese's home opener. That got canceled. So UCF has not played a home regular season game yet in men's soccer. Can you believe that? And they still have. Uh, now they're coming off of a, a, a Tuesday um, Tuesday night uh, loss down in Fort Myers uh, at Florida Gulf Coast, one to nothing. Uh, so men's soccer right now one three and one with uh, two matches having been canceled. Boy, the schedule has just not done UCF men's soccer any favors the last two years. Um, they're now getting ready to start the uh, conference side of the schedule at USF on Saturday at 7 p.m. Uh, and then they before the, and then after that, they have one more road game in the conference uh, against SMU next Friday on, uh, on the 29th before they finally get to open the home season... <laughs> on October the 4th, a Wednesday against Stetson. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's just crazy. I'm it's, laughing. The season starts mid-August, and they're not to play. And, and it just so worked out that they're not going to play a home game, a home regular season game, until October the 4th. This is two years in a row for that program. They've yeah. had some weird uh, kind of quirks or bad luck with the scheduling, with rainouts, uh, cancellations. I mean, it's just kind of... You know, it unfortunately, you know, you do. We talked about it earlier with football, man, about the time off. And was that a concern? And I wasn't as concerned in football, but men's soccer, you need your reps. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's tough. It's tough. It's tough not knowing your schedule. And hopefully they can get to a rhythm and a normal, you know, schedule type. And then we can learn more. Honestly, we can learn more because honestly, there's no way of judging this team right now. We can't. I mean, there's just. Um, there's just it's just kind of a quirky type of deal, so you have to kind of give them a, an incomplete here or a pass until we see more uh, more games and matches, and yeah. we learn more about this team, and they get into they learn about each other. Yeah. So I, I'm so eventually one at one point we will see the home debut of Scott Calabrese for UCF men's soccer, uh, and we'll see Matias Puzolo as well. So. Um, but again, that won't be until October. By the way, you can watch that uh, USF game uh, that's coming up on Saturday uh, on uh, uh, USF's website. They have that up there uh, for free. All right. Women's soccer. Now, this to me is an interesting story. Women's soccer right now stands at 4-1 and one still, having their last three games canceled. They were scheduled to go to, down to FIU Sunday, September 10th, canceled. Or excuse me, they were scheduled to play at home Friday against LSU. That got called off. Scheduled to play at FIU Sunday, September 10th, two days later. Canceled due to her, due to Irma. Scheduled to play at home against Florida Gulf Coast Friday, September 15th. Canceled. They were a little rusty, so they, they called up Eastern Florida State, uh, which is the former, I think it's the former Brevard Community College. Uh, and uh, and called them up and said, "How about you come on down for Sunday for a scrimmage? Beat them twelve to nothing uh, at the UCF Track and Soccer Complex. It's basically a scrimmage that's not going to count on the record, obviously. Just but just to try and shake some of the rust off. And it was a smart move by Coach Zahedak. They uh, are back in action uh, Thursday night 
September 21st on the American Digital Network, which you can watch on YouTube for free, uh, at Cincinnati. They also have a game on Sunday at East Carolina before they come back home Thursday, September 28th uh, against Tulsa. This is the part that I think is interesting. Four and one record right now. They have shot up in the polls despite having their last three games canceled. In the United Soccer Coaches poll, UCF is now 14th. Last week, they were 15th. Um, They're just behind California, just ahead of uh, Georgetown. Uh, In addition, by the way, still behind North Carolina, who they beat. uh, North Carolina is number eight. Number one, by the way, right now, UCLA, Amanda Cromwell's team, uh, uh, 7-0-1 on the season. Uh, with 22 first-place votes ahead of Stanford, who's number two with six first-place votes. South Carolina, who UCF opened with but lost to two to nothing, is standing pat at three. What I thought was interesting, Eric, was the RPI in women's soccer. UCF right now is fourth in the RPI. It goes South Carolina to the top, followed by Stanford, then Texas, then UCF. And how about that <laughs> for your... But when you haven't played in basically two weeks, you've had three matches canceled in a row, and you just keep shooting up the coaches' rankings and the RPI. <laughs> it's it's called beating North Carolina. That's, that's what, what do North for you. Carolina. Yeah, that's what beating North Carolina will do for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, look, this is a big game, by the way. Cincinnati's very good. Yeah. Um, they've been ranked. This is a big game. Um, I'm going to watch it on the digital network. I thought I agree with you about the scrimmage. I think they needed that. Yeah, Cincinnati, uh, by the way, RPI number 20 in the country right now. They're, yeah. they're, they're actually one spot behind UCLA in the RPI. UCLA, even though they're number one in the coaches poll, is 19th in the RPI. Yeah. No, this is a big match. When you look at the American Conference and the contenders, I mean, Memphis, UCF, uh, Cincinnati, Maybe even USF is a dark horse. You know, there. I mean, this this is a league that I think will get multiple bid league. Uh, league. And this is a big match for UCF mm-hmm. on the road. Definitely have concerns about having all this time off. That's why they got that scrimmage in. I think that's one of the re- main reasons why they did that. And uh, I'm curious to see how they come out on Thursday. And if you know, I just hope that this kind of quirky situation with the scheduling uh, that what's occurred doesn't hurt the momentum that they were building prior to right. it. That's my concern. Yeah. And then, but you know, like you said, you got to shake that rust off and, you, and you know, that's a, like you said, that's a pretty quick, I would have loved to have seen that if they, you know, I'd rather have a home game if that's going to happen, but you know, the schedule is the schedule. You got to deal with it going up to Cincinnati. It's a good thing. They're going up to Cincinnati now before it starts getting cold. That's Absolutely. the other thing I was thinking too. Sure. Uh, no question. Uh, volleyball. Spent uh, actually, they were up in Arkansas. They picked up an extra match in that Central Arkansas Classic when they were um, when they were playing, you know, Arkansas State, Central Arkansas, and Southern. Uh, picked up an extra match against Oral Roberts. So right now, volleyball they lost that one three to one. They split in the Central Arkansas Classic. So right now, volleyball at seven and five. But here's the thing: came home Friday night, seven p.m. Their home opener. Uh, against the University of Virginia. It was the first sporting event on UCF's campus since Hurricane Irma, since everything went down. And uh, and they just administered a whooping on Virginia. Got the sweep 3 nothing uh, on Friday night. Uh, 
really impressive numbers for UCF uh, throughout uh, this match. He hit three fifty seven in the first, followed by a four forty four in the third. Kia Bright with 11 kills uh, and 16 digs in that match. Um, just a workmanlike performance all the way around. Uh, and then they had to come back and play Virginia again because they were originally scheduled to play Ole Miss on Sunday. Ole Miss bailed out. And so UVA said, well, we got, a, you know, we got another match to play. Can, can we just play you guys on Saturday? Because they were scheduled to play Ole Miss on Saturday. So UCF said, all right. Todd Dagenay said, all right, we'll play you guys again. Um, a few hours later, basically, 1 p.m. on Saturday. And, you know, uh, you'd think that things would be a little bit quirky in terms of, uh, you know, you're playing them again. You know, who makes the adjustments? UCF sweeps Virginia anyway. 25-19, 25-14, 25-18. So six sets in a row over an ACC opponent. Uh, the Knights hit 359 in that match. And again, Kia Bright, she's just a machine out there. 11 kills. Uh, to go with 13 digs this time around. Allie Sable and Christina Fisher added nine kills each. And the Knights are now 7-5. And five. And uh, I was actually uh, at the uh, the Friday night match, Eric. And, uh, by the way, 8-1 to one in blocks for UCF in that second match against Virginia. Um, I was uh, at the Friday night match, that first match. And uh, Todd Dagenet talked post-match about the the nerve-wracking week that they had as they were up in um, Arkansas, kind of waiting the storm out. And then the players, the sort of you know, sort of the, the senior council, if you will, for UCF, um, the coaches sort of came together with the players and said, you know, what do you guys want to do? And here's how – this is an interesting story. Here's how all that went down and how they decided to come back uh, to Florida. You know, the very first thing as the hurricane was coming in um, was that my wife and Brian's wife went together up to Georgia. Um, Jenny's husband works for a hospital, so he couldn't get away, and so he kind of had to ride it out. So she was the one, more than anything else, that was, you know, on pins and needles because, you know, she didn't know how things were going to turn out, which way the eye wall was going to go or anything like that. So that in itself leads to a lot of stress. And yes, we have players. And if you look at the Florida players, we've got the one here from Orlando, but we've got Tampa, we've got Jacksonville, we've got Jacksonville. And, and we've got people that are on coast that were under flood warnings. And we, we saw in Houston what that does. And so what I really thought um, was incredible was this, the team's sense of home they wanted to get home um and maybe that's parlayed by the fact they've been on the road three weeks i don't know but there was just a sense of getting we want to go home and so on monday um, we found out that our tuesday flight was canceled we, we weren't going to get in on tuesday because um, originally knowing the hurricane was coming we rescheduled for tuesday and uh we found out that we weren't going to be able to get back until saturday tomorrow and so I grabbed the captains, our leadership group, not just the captains, that includes Allie and Jordan Pingle. And I said, what do you guys want to do? These are the options. And to a person, they all said, let's just climb on a bus and go. So we went and found out the rules and regulations of drivers. They can only drive so many hours in such a amount of time. And we found out we had to hire another driver. So three hours later, another driver showed up and we left at four o'clock and drove straight through the night. We pulled in at about noon. So we were actually here, you know, with time. I mean, we were, this was on Monday. We got in on Tuesday. So we've been here since Tuesday. 
whereas a lot of the UCF sports are still stuck out there or just getting back. And so I really feel fortunate that we were able to get our team back into a rhythm, at least the practice, not of class, but of practice. Um, and I think rhythm and routine is so important for a college student, but it's even more important to a highly academic college student, which we're pretty loaded with. They like routine, they like rhythm, they like, they like predictability, and so we wanted to get them back to whatever the new normal was gonna be as soon as possible. Um, I, I couldn't go any farther without saying what a great job Anthony Travel did and our administration and their guidance um, and Tammy Manbeck specifically with Anthony Travel who made pulled all these strings and made all this stuff happen with the bus because that, that stuff just doesn't happen overnight. This thing happened within hours. And all of a sudden we were on a bus, actually we were at Walmart spending about $1,000 in pillows and blankets, but, but you know we were on a bus back here and I think that makes a huge difference. Now with that being said, to come back here Come in, and we didn't want to do a, a huge practice on Tuesday after being on the road for 16 hours, but just enough to get everybody loosened up. Wednesday was a pretty hard practice. Thursday was a regular practice, and I thought today we were ready to play. So I think that's a lot of credit to the players that put things behind them. They recover quickly. I think it's a credit to the leadership saying no excuses. Let's suck it up. Let's go out there and play, and let's get better. So I really think... Um, you know, this is a tribute to the seniors in the leadership group that, that have put us in a nice position to be able to rebound from something that's absolutely, you know, heart-wrenching in a lot of situations. It wasn't for us, but it was for a lot of other people. So I can totally understand where the players were coming from, where, Eric, they were, um, you know, three consecutive weeks on the road to start the season. Uh, and they're finally like, you know, look, can we just can we just go home? Let's just find a way home. I want to we want to get home. <laughs> and right. uh, and they finally and they they hopped on a bus and drove on down. And um, and by the way, credit as as uh, Coach Dash and I mentioned to uh, to the support staff as well for you know pulling that together on short notice. But they uh, were able to get back down and a little concerned about how crazy things got with that wild week. And you spend that weekend on the bus and everything. And, you know, lo and behold, hey, two, two straight sweeps over Virginia, and you're right back in the thick of it as you head toward conference play, right? Well, and again, that's another example. You know, talk about football, it's not as simple as, hey, just go play on the road during a hurricane because there are logistics issues, even after games. How do you right. get back? And things like that. So uh, that's a pretty unique story to share. You mentioned it. We're in conference play. 20 games, right? Conference? Well, man, 20 games uh, schedule, yeah. right? Um, you've seen them up close. The biggest question you have now going into conference is what? Uh, right now, it's the competition. Um, the, we know how good this league is right now, and uh, I'm going to take a peek at the uh, – at the American uh, well, Athletic Wichita Conference State just, Wichita State is coming off a, a win over a top ten team in the country. Yeah, and they're uh, we they're legit. Uh, and talking to people that follow the sport much closer than I do, uh, they in fact they I've been encouraged to go to the Wichita State match, which I believe is the volleyball. Um, it is match. So, uh, so that might be uh, one of the matches I've got circled uh, to go because they, they're they're very legit. Uh, that's on October the, the 27th, by the way. That's yeah. Uh, they're legit, right? I mean, kind of under the radar because men's basketball gets all the attention and rightfully so. But 
this volleyball program is tremendous. They beat number eight Creighton uh, over the on uh, last weekend in four sets. So I think if you go into conference play, would you Wichita State is the favorite, a strong favorite. Temple is still good. You know, I think UCF feels they could be right in that mix. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, everyone's kind of beaten up on is no one's played a conference match yet. Uh, Wichita right. State right now, eight and three, Tulane, 11 and two. Now, you mentioned Jordan Thompson in Cincinnati. They came out with a very tough schedule, but they are they are off to a bad start. They are two yeah. and ten. You know, they're coming in actually on the 24th. As you look at the UCF volleyball schedule coming up, they have a pair of matches this weekend. Friday night, East Carolina, September 22nd, 7 p.m., and they they're doing the old Friday Friday night Sunday afternoon thing. Sunday September twenty fourth, uh, home against Cincinnati. One p.m. is UCF. You can catch both of those matches on UCFnights.tv. But I'm scared of that Cincinnati match because you know there's there's that old adage about you know how the the how about the about the wounded animal is the one that's most dangerous. Well, you know it's funny because I'm actually looking at their stats because when you told me that record, I was kind of like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah. You know, I'm looking at their stats. You know which player is missing from the stats? Jordan Thompson. Yep. Yeah. That that could give you a reason of why you're struggling. This is unconfirmed on my part, but I was actually able to dig up something here. It says uh, uh, that she is, uh, this is according to Volley Talk, nice. uh, that... <laughs> okay. uh, that in the in the broadcast of their game against Kentucky, their match against Kentucky, I should say, uh, she's out for the season due to a freak injury when playing defense requires oh. Tommy John surgery. No. So. Wow. So yeah, I mean it, now. It, no. I, I'm used oh. to I'm used to heartbreaking news about knees and stuff, right? Mm. Which you know, we've seen that all too many times. Um, a freak. Elbow in or, or a freak el- uh, rotator cuff injury playing defense requiring Tommy John. That's boy, that's 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 that stinks and it stinks for Jordan because she's you know not just an outstanding player but a great representative of the conference. Um, and obviously we wish her well, well and get, we wish her well and getting well, better, but geez Louise, I mean, that's man, oh man. It's bad for the game. It's, I, I hate it for for her. Obviously, that's a great future. Hopefully, she can bounce back from that. It's bad for the. Yeah. It's bad for the sport. I mean, regardless of who you root for and all that, I, you like to see the best. And you know, I, I got to call my first volleyball match for the Digital Network a couple of years ago with Cincinnati against UCF, and um, she's fun to watch. She's impressive to watch. Erin Campbell, who we both know very well, former UCF great, feels she's an All American type, and I agreed. She led them to the NCAA tournament, and that's significant, Jeff, with that news that you just broke. Because explain this to the audience, and they may not be aware. That's not somebody you. It's not like other sports where you have other players that could step in right away and fit. The position that she plays is not easy to be replaceable. It's not a repl- It's not easy to fix. Uh, just like oh, let's just bring in the backup. That is a significant loss, and Cincinnati has talent around her. But man, that is that is a huge blow, and it explains why they're struggling. Right. And you know, like I said, <laughs> it's it, they they may have been totally deflating for them, but you, there's a pretty well coached Cincinnati team too. You know, so they're so they're probably going yeah. to be they're they're not going to be, be an easy out. That's for sure. That's a but that's a tough loss. I mean, that's yeah. a tough loss. I mean, we saw that with UCF with Kia Bright, 
what was it, the year after they won the American Conference title. Yeah. The, the fortunate thing for UCF that year in 2015 is, you know, they still had some good players. Jayla Harvey stepped up and everything, but they weren't as good as 2014 in part because Kia Bright was out for the year, which you can't. That's tough to replace. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking at their stats from last year, you know, we, you know in 118 sets, uh, Jordan Thompson averaged almost five kills a set, which is just which is out of this world pretty much. So, um, you know, and, you know, postseason accolades and whatnot. So um, that's going to that's, you know, like I said, that's uh, that's a tough blow for Cincinnati. Well, that makes I me mean, with that news now. Um, I'm actually familiar with that volleyball site you mentioned. Actually, that company, I believe they they're owned by the same people that own the softball site I work for. But that's all the story. Might be true. Um, uh, that's a huge story because I had Cincinnati as the biggest threat to Wichita State. Certainly, an NCAA tournament team going to the year. With that out of the picture, with respect to the coaching staff and the players on that team, if with Jordan Thompson out, that's a huge deal i think it makes wichita state even a stronger favorite in the league and it does open the door for ucf and temple and for to challenge wichita state and get to maybe that's even at worst that second spot or third spot and the reason why i think that's important you want to be at the best position possible if you don't win the regular season title to get an at-large bid and that's what's going to be emphasized here for ucf and others starting this uh, with conference play here because that's it's it's going to be a Donnybrook here. Yeah. So that's key to watch here this weekend. And again, conference schedule getting underway. This is where the real meat of it happens. 20 conference matches this season for UCF Volleyball. Uh, starting with you like that? Do you week. like that? I love it. I love the fact that we play home and home. Okay. I, you know, I think I wish every every sport did that. Now, I know that logistically it would be pretty tough for um you know baseball in particular i I don't think i don't think they play home and home baseball i think they only play some uh i know that in softball they don't and in soccer they don't now if one day we get that change to the soccer schedule that uh some of the coaches have been lobbying for then yeah certainly maybe that that might be an option but i like the fact that we that we do play everybody twice in in volleyball that's you know and, and you know having wichita state in there does it, actually, people thought that that would complicate it a little bit. Really, didn't because Wichita is uh, is uh, travel partners with Memphis, and there's kind of that Memphis Tulsa SMU sort of trip. And uh, you know, because Houston and Tulane, are, you know, people say, "Well, why don't why aren't SMU and Houston travel partners?" Well, it's because Houston and Tulane are actually travel partners. They're a little, they're closer well, together than Dallas. I do think there's some questions that are legitimate about the travel schedule, and I don't know if we'll get into it as deep in this episode. Maybe we'll do it in a future episode. And I do want to talk to Coach Dagenet about it because I think, for example, I think Wichita State and Tulsa are uh, should be the travel partners, and I think they should tweak some things to make it easier on the student athletes. Like, why not have Memphis and Tulane be travel partners uh, and just tweak it that way? And why do we have to stick with what has had what, what, what it is? Because there's actually a part in the UCF schedule. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, where UCF plays at Tulsa, I believe, on a Sunday, come back home, only to then go to Wichita State the following Friday, or it might be vice versa. I don't it's remember. It's the opposite way. It's yeah, yeah. it's uh, Sunday, October first at Wichita, and then Friday, October the sixth at Tulsa. Yeah, and and I just you know I, I just I'm kind of head head scratching over that. Why not just have Wichita State and Tulsa? That and listen, I've traveled to Tulsa multiple times. It's not easy. 
to travel up there. And I can't imagine it's easy to travel to Wichita State, but I do know there, there's bus trips a distance between Wichita and Tulsa and talking to people that have been up there. I've talked to Associate Coach Maurer yeah. about that. She's obviously coached in the Missouri Valley Conference about that. So to me, from Is a it- student-athlete standpoint, why not have Wichita State and Tulsa as travel partners? You could have Memphis and Tulane as travel partners because Memphis to New Orleans is an easy flight. And you have Houston SMU, as you mentioned, uh, from that stuff. Where I just think it's a lot easier from a budget standpoint and from a student athlete travel experience standpoint, if they can just tweak it that way instead of kind of how they way they have it. But, you know, Wichita to Mem- Wichita to Tulsa, by the way, is a two hour, 42 minute drive. Right. And you can I mean, fly but- into Oklahoma City and get to either one rather easily. Exactly. So why not? I, I think that's something that the league should look into. I actually do intend on talking to coach Dagenet about that next time I see him, because I was looking at that. And for some reason I'm a dork when it comes to this kind of stuff, <laughs> partly because I've, well, no, because partly I've, I've traveled with teams. I've traveled with softball for a decade. So I know, but keep in mind when we're talking volleyball, soccer, these are all commercial flights. There's no charter here, like football or bass, men's basketball. Right. So, and I've seen the challenges that comes with traveling on commercial with a team. Not to mention you know, the cost of gas with a bus ride and all that kind of stuff, right? Right. And I, I just, you know, when I looked at this volleyball schedule, I'm like, wow, that this just this seems a little bit more complicated than it really should be. I just, you're asking UCF to make two trips up that area now, back to back. I mean, that's not fun. I mean, that's just, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's I, know I, I know other people are in charge of it. Like I said, I intend on asking Coach Dagenet that, uh, when I talk to them, because I'm curious if coaches have looked into this and, and what they thought about this, because I think this could help everybody and I'm not just, you know, and just from a from a scheduling standpoint and from a travel standpoint, from a budget standpoint. I, I just think there's some changes that need to be done to that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be I, I do wonder if they don't revisit that uh, later on, I think probably in the offseason. It'll, it'll be up to the coaches again to sort of, you know, sort all that out. But, I you know, if if I was. If I was in Coach Dagenet's seat, you know, I'm sure that I w- and I'm sure that he's probably done this. I would certainly lobby for Tulsa and Wichita to be on the same uh, on the same bracket as Travis. Doesn't it partners. just make sense? I mean, it, from yeah. what I'm, I mean, it just seems to me there's nothing you can do about East Carolina and Connecticut. There's nothing you really that is what it is. You obviously have UCF and USF as travel partners. I just to me. With Wichita State arrival, I would just to me Tulsa, Wichita State. I think all the teams would benefit from that, and uh, as I mentioned, and uh, we'll see. Maybe they'll adjust it. Now, what would I don't know, and that's why I want to talk to them about. Maybe there's some prearranged agreements that it makes this easier. Maybe there's uh, deals that the the conference or the schools have with uh, you know tra- uh, travel partners or travel companies that make this kind of you know better. Who knows? That's kind of one of the right. things I'm kind of looking forward to finding out. All right. All right. Uh, it, that is a good thing that we maybe we'll get the chance to ask Todd this weekend when we are. Or, or yeah, if you want to weekend, ask we, him, I, yeah. I, I, I will, but I'm in Maryland. But uh, right. yeah, feel free to ask him. Tell him I asked this question. Eric Lopez wants to know. He's he's obsessed with flying and, and concerned about his travel, the travel mileage. Sounds good. I'll be sure to. I'll, I'll put that on. I'll put that on the docket. All right, let's uh, wrap this thing up here. Uh, look, Elo, what you, obviously you're going to be in Maryland. Tell us what you're going to be up to up in when you head up to the DMV, so uh, people can follow you up there. Uh, follow me on Twitter on Eric Lopez Elo. I'll be obviously spending time with the family, but then I'll be covering the game on Saturday. And uh, you're going to be live uh, blogging with us, with me and me and Murph. Oh right? boy, 
That's right. I'll be live blogging. I'll try to log in there. I'll be bugging Jeff. I'll be calling him names. It'll be great <laughs> entertainment. Uh, and I'll try to obviously take some photos and maybe shoot some video, whether it be Facebook Live or Periscope. I haven't figured that out yet. But uh, try to get people kind of an idea of what's it like to be there maybe before the game when I'm on the field or maybe uh, halftime or half after the game. I kind of will kind of go by feel kind of we'll go by feel and see how things are but uh that's kind of my intentions and uh hope to have a good time and hopefully uh i, I know that uh, a lot of guys people are making the trip i know uh, in fact nightline will be doing their post game show from there so uh just hope for everybody to have a good time but yeah look for eric lopez for the latest on that that's what's really on my uh, on the forefront for me all right and you'll be live blogging with us on black and gold com for the game uh remember a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday against Maryland and FS1, hit up blackandgoldbanneret.com. Have us open on your uh, on your laptop there. We'll be uh, talking about the game as it happens uh, throughout. And Eric, you'll be in the post in, in the press box in College Park as well, giving us some insight on some of the things we don't see. Of course, don't forget to hit us up on our Facebook page, Black and Gold Banneret, uh, as well there on Facebook.com. We are at UCF underscore Banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric, as as he mentioned, is at Eric Lopez Elo. You can download this podcast anytime you want on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Lopez, thanks again, brother. Have a safe trip up to Maryland. We'll be I'll be talking to you, all right? Appreciate it, man. Have a good time. And thanks to you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will see you on our live blog Saturday for UCF and Maryland. Take it easy.